0: So, Genesis chapter 27, we are studying through the book of Genesis, and as we have been, we're learning a lot about uh, God's promises, and how God fulfills his perfect plan, how God fulfills his promises in spite of people, and in spite of the things and the times that people would take things into their own hands, and We can often relate to that as we take matters into our own hands, oftentimes when God is trying to do something beautiful and perfect. But that's what we're going to be looking at further today in Genesis 27. uh, We'll begin reading there in verse 1. It says this, Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, and he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food, which as I love, such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Stop here for a bit. And we see, of course, Isaac is an old man. Fully in his own mind, believing that he's going to die. And his perspective right now, he's 137 years old about. And he's thinking at this point, this is it. His his half-brother Ishmael had died at 137 years old. So he thought, you know what? That's it for me. I'm going to die as well. 137, this is it. I don't know the exact day, but it's coming. And so with that in his mind, he's now preparing to settle his affairs. And as he's preparing for that, he calls his son Esau, the oldest of his twin sons. Uh, But of course, as we've studied before, we looked at, and, and as is common practice still today, the oldest would be given the birthright. The blessing, we saw two chapters ago, chapter 25, that Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a a bowl of stew. He was starving, he was hungry. We talked about this, this perspective that Esau was caught up in the physical, the here and now, the flesh that said, feed me, and in that feeding of the flesh, he Forsook, or as it says, he despised his birthright, and so as we we keep that in mind as we get into further story of these brothers who were very much rivals. But Isaac calls for his son Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite, and Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. Uh, It goes back all the way back to here in Genesis. Parents play favorites. It's unfortunate, but it's true. No, we, we don't, right, parents? We don't play favorites at all. We would never do that. We would never pick one over the other. But listen, the reality is this was a completely dysfunctional family, and we're going to get into how dysfunctional this family was throughout this chapter here. But Esau was, in fact, Isaac's favorite. And Isaac would have known by now that of God's word that the older would serve the younger. Right, from chapter 25, verse 23, this is a word of the Lord to Rebekah that the older would serve the younger, a prophecy over these two that are in her womb, that the older Esau would serve the younger, Jacob. And so now Esau was being his favorite, Isaac was focused on the physical things and literally here and now is trying to take God's blessing into his own hands the blessing that is by God promised to the younger, promised to Jacob. And here's Isaac calling Esau in. And interestingly enough, he thought that he was going to die, right? He says, look, I'm gonna die. The day is coming. I don't know the exact day, but it's coming soon. And he tried to settle his affairs here and now, and he lived another 43 years. He died at 180 years old. And so as Isaac takes these matters into his hands. He's thinking even with his own death that the time is coming. Here it is. The time is short. I'm gonna set everything up. I'm gonna make sure that Esau gets the blessing as the oldest son. Take these matters into my own hands. And then he lives another 43 years. Now, we have to remember though that Esau already forsook his birthright. Isaac was determined to give this blessing to Esau that Esau already forfeited. And Isaac, no doubt, was operating in earthly wisdom, in his own understanding. We continue verse five. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So, Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it, and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. We see here the beginning of this deception and this this total manipulation of the blessing. Rebecca. Remember God's promise, Genesis chapter 25, the older shall serve the younger. Isaac, this is where things start to really get twisted. Rebecca remembers that promise. Isaac is trying to give the blessing to the older when it was promised to the younger. And Rebecca is going to take over. She's going to take care of the situation. Isaac's trying to play his card secretly over here. And then Rebecca is listening in. And she's gonna play her card secretly over here. And they're, they're battling over the blessing, over the promise of God. They're battling, and they're not even doing it face to face, behind each other's back. And so uh, Isaac, as he's trying to give the blessing that was promised to the younger, as Rebecca now is gonna take over the situation. Uh, and this is such a constant that we see throughout Genesis taking God's promises into their own hands. We've seen Abraham do it. We've seen Abraham do it more than once. We've seen Lot do it. We've seen the people of God at various times have have taken matters into their own hands. And even knowing and understanding the promises of God, but thinking, well, yeah, I understand, God, that there's a promise, but I'm gonna work it out. I'm going to work out your promise for you. I'm going to work out your promise in my timing, because I want i want it. I want it here and now. I want it my way. Uh, and so this is a constant that we're seeing, taking God's promises into their own hands. And that's something that we're all really good at. You know, we take promises, or maybe there's a word that the Lord has given you, and and. It's not even, you don't even know it's happening right now. He said, Hey, look, this is going to happen. And there's a lot of things in the scripture that are promised to us that we have to just be faithful and wait for. We can't just uh, be hard on the characters that we read about in Genesis and not relate to ourselves and think, Man, you know what? I'm really good too at taking God's promises into my hands. I'm really good at trying to manipulate situations because I think that this is what God desires or this is the timing that God desires. And God will often work in this way that he reveals his plan or his promise and then says, wait, walk by faith. It takes a lot to walk by faith when we just wait. And sometimes God will call you to take an exciting step of faith. Maybe it's in the mission field and God wants you to go into the mission field and you're like, this is super exciting and I'm gonna do it. And and you're all excited to do it and you're ready to take that step because it's an adventure. And you think, man, this is amazing that God is calling me to this. But what if God reveals a plan or a promise to you and says, I'm going to call you, I'm going to prepare you for the mission field and says, but you have to wait. That sometimes takes a lot more faith to just wait. Look at Abraham. God told him that he was going to have a son of promise. Did it happen? Not till he was 100 years old. And at times Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands. And so here there's a the promise that the older would serve the younger. And so now, Isaac thinking, no, I'm going to reject that entirely. I'm going to get the blessing for Esau. Rebecca thinking, well, this is God's promise to me, and so I'm going to make sure it happens because Isaac's trying to make something else happen. And there's a little bit of justification in that as well. Well, Isaac is not walking in the will of God. Isaac is rejecting God's promise, so I'm going to just, you know what? I'm going to take care of it. This is a bit, you know, as God reveals his plan and says, wait, this is a bit of of my testimony, my story. As a a teenager, I met my wife in high school, and I knew at an early age that I was going to marry her. That, to me, was a promise from God, but I had to wait. I was 15. It wasn't time to get married yet. Now, I could have said, no, let's get married. That would have been stupid, right? I'm not gonna do that. We waited five years. 20 years old, we got married. God fulfilled the promise. 15 years later, here we are, four kids. Praise the Lord. By the grace of God, we walk in his ways. We walk by faith, and that faith sometimes means wait. Even further, I had, you know, in 2005, I went to a school of discipleship in Montana, and, and as I was there, I was, you know, felt the Lord prompting me to, to be a part of this same ministry that was moving to the Bahamas. That was in 2005. And in my own, I was 19 years old, and I'm thinking, yeah, let's go. I'm going to go to the Bahamas and do this crazy discipleship ministry, and, but the Lord said, wait. And I thought, man, it would have been so exciting to just go and get it done. But the Lord said, wait. And so my wife and I went in 2009. Three weeks after we moved to the Bahamas, the Lord gave a word that we were going to move back to New Jersey and I was going to pastor this church. I'm like, we just moved to the Bahamas We just literally sold our house, sold half our stuff, packed up what we could and shipped it to the Bahamas and we're living there in this third world country, pregnant with our first baby and thinking, Lord, why are you calling us back already? Now it it wasn't right away. The Lord said, wait. And the pursuit of the promise was just walk by faith. Grow in the Lord Take small steps of faith along the way. Walk in his will. Sometimes, too, the Lord will reveal something to us. He'll give us a word or a promise or, or a, you know, something of his plan for us. And then we're like, eh, I don't want to wait. And we try to take matters into our own hands. Or what we do is maybe we just wander. We walk away from it. And some of you maybe have walked away from the will of the Lord for your life. And you've just been wandering about aimlessly, not understanding that his promises are to walk by faith and not by sight. You take little steps of faith along the way, but we all want that big, exciting step, don't we? We all want that big, exciting calling. You know what God's calling is on your life? Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, become fishers of men. He says, follow me. That's his calling on every one of our lives, to walk with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, we're fulfilling the will of God. We're pressing into his promises as we walk with Jesus. Sometimes he says, wait, And that doesn't mean we need to try to steer the Jesus boat. Doesn't mean we try to, well, let me just, you know, give a little influence over here, Jesus, come on. You know what that's called? Manipulation. God said, wait, and so 10 years later, I took over 2020 to pastor the church here. I didn't think it was gonna be 10 years, but the Lord said, wait. <laughs> you know, it's easy to take matters into our own hands. And when we do, we're thinking that God maybe has forgotten the promise. Or we think that the Lord is slack concerning his promise. But Peter writes and says, no, not true. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise the promise, because the promise is about walking with Jesus. It's about walking by faith. It's not just about the big, exciting step of faith. We have to take the little steps, and when we do take matters into our own hands, then we really mess things up. So, Rebecca, taking matters into her own hands, she plots with Jacob, of course. And now we're getting a little bit of a picture of maybe where Jacob got his influence from. Jacob, which means trickster, right? Scoundrel, con man, that's who he was. And perhaps his mom taught him some of those ways as she comes up with this plan that is in her mind justified because of the promise of God. But she, here she is, Rebecca plotting with Jacob, Isaac plotting with Esau, saying, Esau, go and get me some game, cook me some food, you know what I like, bring it in, and, we'll, and I'll feast and I will bless you. And then Rebecca. There's this plotting going on, both of them trying to manipulate God's blessing and God's promise with their favorite child. Both of them were totally operating in the flesh. In fact, all four of them were operating in the flesh. This family, as I said before, is completely dysfunctional. And we can all relate, right? There's always dysfunction in every family of some sort. Some of us think, man, no, mine's worse than yours. No, mine's worse than yours. And we have all stories that are dysfunctional stories. This is dysfunctional. I mean, this gets worse. Esau threatens to kill his brother and, you know, after this manipulation back and forth, I mean, literally, there's four people, they're against each other, trying to pull strings in every which way. But they're operating in the flesh. Isaac tries to bless Esau in secret, Esau is not a godly man. Rebecca is spying on them and schemes with Jacob, the trickster. Clearly, there's no trust among this family. There's no trust of anybody's motivation. And I, you know, I'm just reminded, I'm thinking of the, the body of Christ, the family of God. And so often, we think the worst of each other, right? We, get, we go right to that place of Rebecca and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and thinking, man, I've got to manipulate the situation to help me out. But in the family of God, why would we not trust the relationship that our brother or sister has with Jesus. Shouldn't we be able to as we're part of the body of Christ? But this is manipulation at its finest going on here. It gets even better or worse. One of kind of both, right? Verse 11, and Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And when he got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory foods such as his father had loved, then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on the hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Manipulation at its finest. Rebekah and Jacob were master manipulators. I mean, Jacob goes right to thinking through all the scenarios. Okay, mom, decent plan. But what if, I mean, look, I'm not a hairy guy. Jacob is a hairy guy. What about then? Well, I know dad can't see, but what if he feels my arms and, and then he knows that I'm not, I'm not Esau? They're doubling down. Isaac and Esau were not as good at this manipulation at this point because they were at a disadvantage. Isaac was blind. But they're all trying to manipulate the situation. All trying to manipulate God's plan. And Rebecca and Isaac go all out in this plan to deceive. Jacob living up to his name of being the trickster, the thief. And with total willingness to abandon what's right and wrong. It didn't matter anymore. There was no question, there was no conversation to say, hey, this, is, this doesn't sit right. There was no conviction. That's a dangerous place to be. The lies, the, the webs have been spun all over the place to where there's no understanding of right and wrong. And we've seen it. You've seen it happen in your lives. You see it happen around you in the world. The webs are so thick, there's no understanding of what's right and wrong in the midst of this total manipulation and abandonment of morality. And even in that, there's self-justification. In this here, for Rebecca, for, for Jacob, there's a self-justification thinking, but this is what God said was going to happen. So we're gonna just work it out. We're gonna make it happen. And self-justification leads people to do whatever works to get what they want. You could convince yourself of anything when all the webs are so thick. Am I right? You could convince yourself, no, I'm justified. I could deceive over this thing because I'm justified to do it. There's no reason not to. There's no good reason not to. It's okay. My life is difficult enough. I could get away with this. Or it's what's right. Self-justification leads to do whatever you want, to get whatever you want. This whole family fighting against each other to get their way, Esau gave his birthright away for a cup of stew and is now fighting to get it back. This is all earthly wisdom. James chapter three, verse 14 to 16 says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Earthly wisdom is at its finest in Genesis chapter 27. Earthly wisdom is taking matters into our own hands and trying to manipulate the promises of God. And when we try to manipulate the promises of God, we can distort the promises of God. And what, are, what is earthly wisdom? It's full of bitter envy and self-seeking. That describes Genesis 27 to a T. Bitter envy and self-seeking, is, it, it makes way for confusion and it makes way for then every evil thing. It makes way for Esau to commit murder in his heart and say, I'm going to kill my brother, which we'll see later on. It makes way for further manipulation. And it distorts God's perfect plan. You know what? Bitter envy and self-seeking is a tool in the hand of the enemy. That's earthly wisdom. It says it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. When we, have, when we try to offer our wisdom We can be used as a tool in the hand of the enemy. Messing with God's plan. Messing with God's promise. Verse 18 then. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. And I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat my game, that, you, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now, first of all, there's a lot of things going on here in these couple verses. Some serious problems. Number one, he says, I am Esau. It's a lie. Just plain as day, a lie. Who is it, my son? He knew it was his son. Now, the indication of what he says further, he'd say, wait, but I know that voice. He says, that's Jacob's voice. And so when he hears him say, Father, here I am, he's saying, who is it, my son? Thinking, it's Jacob. He couldn't see, but he could hear, and he knew the the voice of his son. He says, it's gotta be Jacob. He says, no, it's Esau. This deception just goes deeper and deeper. He's digging the hole deeper. The web is getting thicker. And he says, How is it that you've come back so quickly? And then Jacob responds, The Lord your God brought it to me. Three problems here. Number one, he lied again. He doubles down in his lies. That to say, The Lord your God brought it to me, well, no, that's not true because he went out and got the goat from their pasture and brought it to his mother. Second of all, Jacob brought God into it. That's a big problem. That's dangerous. Sometimes we try to justify, we try to bring God into our deception and try to spiritualize our situation. Manipulation at its finest. But that's what, we'll see people do this. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you're doing it right now. Maybe you're living a life full of manipulation and lies, and you try to bring God into it. Oh, God made this happen. What? Did he? Jacob lies and says that God brought this to me. God had nothing to do with it. You excommunicated God from your situation. You made sinful decisions and then you try to bring God back into your life. But here's the thing. We, so we use that you know, as, as to try to spiritualize our manipulations, but then we even use God's plan or his promise to disguise or justify deception. That justification, again, that self-justification. Well, it's God's promise. So it's okay, I tell a little white lie, brush over this, it's okay as long as the end is fulfilling the promise. Not leaving it up to God to fulfill the promise. The third thing that's a problem here is that Jacob says to his father, the Lord, your God. That's a sad statement. He didn't say, our Lord, my Lord, and my God. He said, the Lord, your God. You know what this tells us? That, Isaac, that Jacob had this perspective of religion that his father had passed on, that he was a religious man. And the Lord, your God. And he'd heard stories of grandpa Abraham he had heard stories, maybe of you know going back to to Noah and, how, and God's faithfulness. These, these have been passed down through generations, and he's like, "Those are great God stories. That's good for you, Dad. The Lord your God brought me because that's what God does, right? God provides miracles. God provides blessings, and the Lord your God provided this blessing for me." Trying to speak that religious lingo to his father. This sad statement, though, tells us that Isaac did not lead his family well. His sons, both of them, did not recognize their own commitment to God. There was nothing personal about a relationship with God for Jacob. So clearly... We go back a little bit, and how is it that he could just get so caught up and dig so deep into this manipulation? Because there was no conviction. There was no conviction because there was no personal relationship with God. That's what happens. We studied in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We're, we're sons of darkness. We are, we are just children of darkness, of the, of the enemies, under the enemy's influence. That's who we were apart from Christ. So apart from Christ, apart from relationship with Jesus, what do we expect? We can't expect the world to have conviction. We can't expect for people to stop lying and stop manipulating apart from Christ. This is the fruit of... Of not having a relationship with Jesus. This is the fruit of, of a disconnect from God. No conviction. Verse 21 Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he's clearly got doubt in his mind here. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Isaac has his doubts he's questioning and confirming i know that voice he already from the get-go is like who is it my son is esau time out doesn't sound like esau come here can't see you and then the manipulation it's all playing out things are all playing into jacob's hands questioning there's a questioning there's this interrogation so to speak from Isaac and in that there's a dedication from Jacob Jacob was committed he doubled down on his lies even further spinning the web more and more then it says verse 27 no I'm sorry verse where, where did I leave off 23 sorry then he said to him are you really my son Esau he said I am he goes even further into the lie. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him. And said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So Isaac blessed his son. After Jacob just kept going and kept going and kept going, he dug so deep, there was no getting out. He had to keep going with it. And Isaac blessed him. He blessed him with this same blessing that was given and passed on to him from his father Abraham. Some of the same words are used with this, between the, uh, the covenant between God and Abraham. Abraham. That he gives Abraham this blessing. And Abraham passes the blessing on to Isaac. And we studied that a few weeks ago and looking at how Abraham blessed nobody else. It was all given. The whole inheritance was all given to Isaac. And now Isaac is taking that same blessing, the same inheritance, and giving it to Jacob. The blessing is of God's abundant blessing passed down from Abraham. Reminding us that, listen, God is sovereign. Isaac's blessing over Jacob, though, didn't matter as much as the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord said, the older will serve the younger. And now here is Isaac saying to Jacob, those very words, you will be master over your brethren. Brethren. God is going to do what must be done. Now, when we take matters into our own hands, we we do tend to mess with things. And there's gonna be some consequence or difficult circumstances along the way. But we need to remember this, that God said it. So we take it as an absolute. That's what the promise is all about, is God's word. God's word contains so many promises. You want encouragement, you want blessing, you want promises? Dig into God's word. That's what he's all about. He's given this to us for life and godliness that we might live according to it. We would grow in our understanding of it. But it's about God's word and God's wisdom. And if we're walking in his ways, then we experience his wisdom, which is different entirely from the earthly wisdom that this whole family was walking in. But God will do what needs to be done. I'm reminded of Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah. Jonah thought, I'm going to run. God gave him a word to go to Nineveh, challenged him to go to Nineveh, this dangerous place, and said, I'm running away. Go in the other direction. He went as far from, he tried to go as far from Nineveh as he could and then he's swallowed up by a great fish. And then he spit up on the shores toward Nineveh because God's gonna do what God's gonna do. Now, if Jonah obeyed God, he wouldn't have to be swallowed by a fish. If we walk according to God's will, if we wait when he says wait, if we step when he says step, We don't have to get swallowed by the fishes. We don't have to go through the same difficulty and suffering the difficult circumstances. Then further here, so after, here's this great blessing that Isaac passes on to his son Jacob. But it's not about Isaac. It's about the word of the Lord. Verse 30 then, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau, now the deception is revealed. Because the truth always comes out. Esau is always going to show up. We might think we've got this manipulation all figured out. We've got our web spun just right, and everybody's going to play into our hands. And I bet Jacob must have walked out of there thinking, I've got the blessing. Mom, I got the blessing. And mom, they're like skipping around or something. You know, there's this great excitement. You would imagine, right? And then, and Esau always shows up. No matter how thick the webs have gotten, or how deep the hole is dug, or how much you try to cover over things and think that it's okay, I've covered it, everybody's gonna play into my hands. Esau always shows up in the end, and that reveals. The truth. The truth is the only thing that adds up in the end, too. It, there was no interrogation here. Right now, Jacob says to Isaac, It's it is I, Esau. Now, hold on a minute. Doesn't sound like Esau. Come here. You know, it goes through the whole the whole thing of testing to find out if it's Esau. And now Esau walks in and says, Esau, I got your food, dad. Oh, yeah, that's Esau. Isaac knew it immediately. And then, verse 33 Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed, he shall be blessed. Isaac, it says he trembled exceedingly. The terminology used here in this statement, it's a strong statement. It is translated to mean that Isaac was convulsing. He was overwhelmed in this moment. You even get this picture out of of the words that he says. Who, what, like that, are you serious? Because he realized it wasn't this, it wasn't so much the anger It was a realization that he had been defeated in the plan that he had devised. That God would not be put in a box. When we try to put God in a box or we try to to manipulate God's plan or God's ways or take his his plan into our hands, we will end up defeated. Defeated. And Isaac, he's trembling in defeat. His pride took a major hit as he tried to manipulate. And he says these words, he says, Indeed, he shall be blessed. This is an admission of his own defeat. As he's here, he's literally convulsing, not able to speak clearly. Who, what, what are you talking about? Where is the one who brought me food? I ate the food. It was Esau. What, what are you talking about? And now he's saying, but indeed that they are blessed because he knew of his own defeat and he knew of God's perfect plan. He couldn't fight it. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, it is not rightly named, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me. These two times, he took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine, I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now Esau has this perspective. Obviously he's angry. But he says these words, he took away my birthright. Actually, he didn't. Esau despised his birthright. And we studied that just a couple weeks ago in that satisfaction in the moment, in his desire to fulfill the flesh here and now, he despised, he forsook his birthright, his rightful inheritance, because he was serving himself, living for himself, living for the here and now, and not for the eternal, not for the inheritance of what the Father has for us and so he says now he took it from me no he didn't you gave it up you gave it up living for your own satisfaction you didn't claim that inheritance for yourself esau despised that birthright now he says now on top of it he's living up to his name he's taking my blessing too. And he says, but bless me also. I mean, I would imagine he's concerned by his father's response, who's convulsing and not able to speak clearly. Now he's concerned at this response. And perhaps, perhaps in this, just this one moment, Esau realized the spiritual implications of his own actions. Perhaps he realized the spiritual implications of forfeiting that birthright. And now that desire is just give me something. Give me some leftovers. That's a sad place to be spiritually. To say, give me some leftovers, give me just a little blessing. Man, there, we've been bouncing, we're doing Ephesians on Sunday, we're doing here Genesis on, on Wednesdays, and there's so much that connects between this, of the story of Jacob and Esau into Ephesians. But what it says in Ephesians chapter one is that he gives us the spiritual, he desires to give us the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Those are ours if we are in Christ. Christ we're not in Christ, if we are within ourselves, we don't have a relationship and fellowship with Jesus, then we're forfeiting our birthright. But he desires to give the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He desires not to just give us a little bit of leftovers. The Father wants to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But here's Esau. Saying, I I don't, I know I missed out on that. Just give me a little something. And Esau wept. Now maybe he wept out of this anguish of this spiritual implication now in his life or maybe he wept out of pure selfishness. It probably was a bit of both. Probably more so the selfishness. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us of Esau that he found no place for repentance. And so as he, he's weeping, he's pleading with his father and he's weeping. In verse 39 then, Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So here's the leftover blessing. <laughs> and it translates to this, basically to say, you and your descendants are gonna be de- desert dwellers, nomads, and you will not have to serve your brother forever. That's the leftover blessing. Not that great. And out of that blessing comes greater anger, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of his blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau uh, of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau uh, comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. There is an intent to kill that came out of the leftover blessing. He was upset. He was enraged over the blessing that his father gave to him, saying he was going to serve his brother, that he was gonna be a desert dweller, but at least he wouldn't have to serve his brother forever. Now we're gonna see beautiful redemption in the chapters to come. But here and now, there's an intent to kill. They were in mourning during that time, which was a bit of a peace treaty between them. We have to remember this. These brothers were rivals, not just... Right in this chapter 27, they were rivals their whole life. Esau came out, and then there's Jacob grabbing his heel. Hey, get back here. And they're complete opposites. We studied that before in chapter 25, and they were rivals their entire lives. And so now there's this mourning period because they think that their father is going to die, because their father has said, I'm gonna die. But Isaac lived for 43 more years, caught up in this perspective. And then, so, I, you know, Esau says, look, the peace treaty is going to come to an end. After dad dies, then it's over. I'm coming for you, Jacob. But Isaac, who lived on for 30, 43 more years, he was caught up in the same perspective that Esau was caught up in. When Esau sold his birthright, he was caught up in the physical here and now lacking the eternal perspective. They had this temporary peace that was going to end. Esau made clear his intent to kill his brother, and even in that, challenging the promise of God, the blessing from God. Verse 43 then, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of my daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be. Here she goes again with another scheme, another plan. Send him away. Get out of here, Jacob. you got to run. I don't want to lose you. I already lost relationship with my son Esau, and he's got this, this wicked life that he lives. you got to get out of here. you got to go find something else. Go hang out with Uncle Laban. The scheming continues, and now this scheme is to try to brush over things, one, but to protect Jacob, which in her mind is trying to protect God's promise, God's blessing. And here it is again of taking these matters into her own hands. We think that we need to protect God's promise sometimes, don't we? And we think we're justified by spinning our webs and manipulating situations because we're protecting the promise. We're protecting a blessing. We're protecting ourselves. That's what we're doing. Because we think we know what his calling is. We think we know what his ways are. We don't know his ways. They're higher, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts beyond our thoughts. God's plan is perfect, and it needs no protecting. Now, if you don't take matters into your own hands in the first place, you wouldn't find it necessary to protect God's plan because nobody's gonna be coming to kill the blessing. God's plan is perfect. And now she says, go spend a few days, let it pass over. Go spend a few days with Uncle Laban. That few days turned into 20 years. A few wives. It was a lot of mess for Jacob. So we look at this chapter and we could think, man, this is kind of depressing, right? The reality is you look at this family, four people, everyone battling for something. They all wanted it their own way, and everybody lost. Rebecca even said, let the curse be on me. She never saw her son again. Everybody lost. This family now scattered, separated, estranged from each other. One brother wants to kill the other brother. The blessing that was intended for one was given to another, This one tricked the other one. This one sold and despised his birthright to this one. There's quite a bit of dysfunction here. Lies, manipulation, you name it. It's all going on. Everybody lost. They all schemed in their own earthly wisdom, rejecting God's wisdom, working against God's plan. But, but here's the hope. The glorious part of it. God fulfills his plan. He said, the older will serve the younger. And this is how it happened God will always fulfill his promises. And God's perfect plan doesn't need any of our protection or any of our help. That's hard to understand. That's a tough pill to swallow. But we have to understand God's calling on our life. And God's calling on our life is to follow Jesus. That's what he told Peter on the beach in John chapter 21. He said, follow me. What about John? You follow me. I'm gonna fulfill all these things in your life. I'm going to, you are gonna be a shepherd. You're gonna pastor. You're gonna lead. You're gonna be a minister of the gospel and you're gonna die for the sake of the gospel. What about John? Don't worry about John. You follow me. That's the calling. When you follow me, we're gonna do a lot. We're gonna change a lot of things. We're gonna change the world. You follow Jesus. You're, you're changing your life when you follow Jesus. Jesus. You're making an impact in the world around you when you follow Jesus. Walk with him. Walk by faith and not by sight and understand that's fulfilling his perfect plan. We don't have to get caught up in all of the other stuff, the messes of Genesis chapter 27, the webs, the lies, the manipulations. It's so easy to get caught up. But yet, he desires to give us spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Follow Jesus. Walk in his ways. Allow him to fulfill his promises and his plan in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're so faithful. We trust in you. We put our hope in you because you're faithful because you made a way for us. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus. Understand that this, you know, Genesis 27, it may be, a, you know, this depressing type of story, but it all points us to our great need. Our sinful state is ugly. Look at the sinfulness, the lies and the manipulation But as I said before, walk with Jesus. So I'm asking, I'm inviting you tonight, if you've never given your life to Jesus, fulfill that calling as he says, follow me. He desires a relationship with you. So much so that he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for your sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead and then he ascended. Later on, he ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is Jesus. And he wants to have fellowship with you. You might think, why? It's a good question. We don't deserve it, but he loves you so much. None of us deserve it, but yet he loves us. And he wants to hang out with you. He wants that fellowship. So would you give your life to Jesus tonight?